Hey guys, on today's episode, we're going to be discussing 2018's Annihilation. We do recommend watching the movie ahead of time. It makes the conversation more interesting to listen to. So, John, what is Annihilation about? Well, Mike, Annihilation is a transcendent journey into the wonders of nature, viewable in Florida's stunning and underrated St. Mark's <laughs> National Wildlife Refuge. Join four intrepid wildlife explorers as they take in the beautiful flora and fauna of the southern United States' beaches, swamps, and wildland. Watch as they interact with the incredible wildlife, from deer and insects to alligators and bear-adjacent monstrosities. All of the beautiful and beguiling sights and sounds of wild Florida are on display for you to see. And, you know, it's kind of true, too. <laughs> Brought like, to you by Visit Florida. <laughs> Annihilation. <laughs> I'm just saying, some part of you definitely wanted to go to St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge after seeing this movie. Yeah. No lie. No, I'm right? definitely, I'm like the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio meme of pointing at the TV every time I watch this movie. I'm like, oh, I've it's, been, it's, I've been mauled by thing. beasts there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've Welcome seen mutant to... alligators. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Welcome to this film, Kabir Life. Annihilation! There you go. I'm glad I was actually really old. Welcome once again to This Film Could Be Your Life, a movie podcast where two friends take the movies that they love way too seriously. My name is Jonathan Devine. I'm joined as always by Mike Overstreet. John, almost none of us oh. commit suicide, <laughs> but almost okay. all of us self-destruct when they have to talk to you for two hours. Wow, that is... Annihilation! Uh, anyway, let's go. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike. How many... What's the over under uh, on how many times you're going to shout annihilation? Uh, how many times has she? Know. How many times has she shouted at the end of the movie? I think it's like seven, eight. So I'll I do that. I, I, I really thought it was just once, but it I, did, I saw I it. I, I do not think she says it more than once. But if I'm wrong, I'm listen, wrong. John. My takes are refracting throughout this podcast, so you're just okay. gonna have to buckle up. Uh, as if you can't tell, Annihilation is a 2018 science fiction psychological horror film. I kind of think that's too that's, many. That's a lot of descriptors. Genres. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I agree. Uh, I, I would just say it's 2017 psychological bear horror movie. Yeah, I'm sorry. That That's much more accurate. Yeah. Written and directed by Alex Garland, based on the 2014 novel of the same name by Jeff Vandermeer. It stars Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Lee, Gina Rodriguez, Tessa Thompson, Tuva Novotny, and Oscar Isaac. Woo. It follows a group of explorers who enter the Shimmer, a mysterious quarantine zone of mutating plants and animals caused by an alien presence. Kind of a spoiler in the first paragraph of Wikipedia. Wouldn't you? This is the alien thing. I feel like that sort of is not necessarily known in the movie. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting because it's not a spoiler actually in the movie. Because if you remember, the movie opens with a scene of an asteroid hitting the planet. But, That's true. And we'll get into this in a second. In the book, this is the central mystery of the entire series of whether this is an alien or not. There's no asteroid right. scene to open it. So it is an interesting moment in which we'll get into adaptation. But you are correct. That is a bit of a spoiler either way. <laughs> which, I mean, on that note, we might as well just go ahead and start talking about, because uh, we start by talking about our history with the 
uh, movie. And in this case, there's kind of an entire property surrounding it. Yeah. Uh, so the novel written by Jeff Vandermeer uh, was actually ended up becoming part of a trilogy, even though I don't believe it was initially intended to be a trilogy. Hmm. Um, I think I think that the first book was, even though it doesn't explain everything, was kind of just conceived as its own thing. And the second two books were added later. I can see that. Um, so I guess, Mike, your history with the movie, but also if you want to pepper in the novel, I think we both have read at least the first. Uh, I only got halfway through the second. I found the second really boring. A couple yeah. people told me to keep reading, uh, but I didn't. So I, I read one and a half of the books, thoroughly enjoyed the first book, uh, but that was also after I'd seen the movie. Yep. So I definitely saw the movie first. But what what's your kind of history with these? Pretty mega ditto. Um, I will say yeah. tangentially, uh, the last 100 pages of the second book are probably the best writing in the whole series. But the first Damn. the first like 400 or so boring, it's hard to get there. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you. Tough for me because yeah. I, can't, I can't reread the first 400 now and yeah, I can't skip yeah. to the last 200. So uh, yeah. It does go off. But anyway, um, same exact story. I, I was a huge, uh, like, Alex Garland fan after Ex Machina. Um, and I've actually just, like, really enjoyed all of his work. I like devs. I like everything he's really done. So I, I really anticipated this movie, even though I hadn't seen the book. I was just kind of excited for it off the basis of his name recognition alone. Movie blew me away. Loved it. Ended up going back to the book later. And I also, I think when the first book is one of my favorite sci-fi novels, probably the last 20 years, 20 plus years. It's one of my favorite modern sci-fi novels. So sure. huge fan of this intellectual property. Um, I will say I, I am super curious at what it would be like to have read the book first, because as someone who started with the movie, I tend to like view this as one of the better adaptations ever in the sense of like what adaptation should be. But I imagine if I had started with the book, I actually might have disliked it a lot more. So I don't know if you want to get into that conversation or not. But as an adaptation, it's a fascinating work. Well, unfortunately, I'm in the same position as you are. So I'm also fascinated by that idea because um, then we might as well get into this a little bit because I think it it is such a key part of, of the movie. So the movie is an adaptation of the book, but it's a very it's loose in some ways and very close in other ways. So the the kind of famous quote or the well-known quote um and actually let me pull it up so i don't misquote him by accident so garland actually said that the his adaptation was quote unquote a memory of the book mm. with the intention of capturing the dreamlike nature and tone um and that even extended I, I believe and i might even be stepping on some of my straight thoughts later but i believe that he didn't reread the book before no. writing the script so like yep. he read the book and then went to write the script but at no point consulted it so he very intentionally wanted it to be yeah this kind of like for lack of a better word again like an, a sort of looser adaptation it's not very closely following it but it has so many of the same themes and obviously settings and even kind of characters um and you know we, we've had other adaptations on this show before I guess just for me, suffice to say that like it, it goes back to that classic thing of each medium is good at different things. Yeah. And the kinds of things that movies are good at, this movie is very good at. Yes. And the kinds of things that books are good at, the book is really good at. The book, the introspection in the book and the character's inner monologue and the way that it's, you kind of don't trust it. Like there's things that don't totally add up and sort of add to that level of the psychological um kind of horror of it 
doesn't translate to the movie. So obviously it's not in the movie at all, but in the book it's incredible. Yeah. And so I think that that kind of stuff is really, really cool. And I, I, I guess I do agree with you. I'm, I would be really interested in someone's perspective. Like if someone, like I'd be interested if someone who loved the book would almost like, would they be upset at how different the movie is or would they understand that kind of difference? I don't know. You know, um, I don't either. Yeah. I really don't. And especially in the sense of like you're saying, cause like for me, the biggest difference between these pieces of, of art when it comes to adaptation is the characters. Like, not to get too into the weeds, but Natalie Portman's character, you know, Lena is is super different in terms of motivations in the book. And it's because right. of, like you said, she's allowed to have this complex inner world that is pretty dramatically laid out in all these like flashbacks and all these like self narrations. And, and she still is like untrustworthy like she is in the movie. But why she's doing what she's doing is almost entirely different. And yet, from my perspective, that's because what her motivations are in the book are almost Uncon like transferable to a cinematic experience without someone just yeah. like expositing like why she thinks or believes what she does right so instead they simplify her motivation for going into area x and focus more on the thematic resonance that her character is being wrapped up in which i think is a brilliant choice however i could see if myself if i loved that character ahead of time i feel like she was shortchanged if i watched the movie does that make sense um yeah i, I think that does make sense yeah but but ultimately choosing to go with like the structure, the themes, and that that hallucinogenic kind of focus, I think is just a brilliant choice. It's one of one of the better adaptation choices I can think of. It also ch changes. So even though, despite what I said earlier about the the book not necessarily being planned to be part of a trilogy, I think the the first book does leave a lot of open endedness. Yeah. Um, the movie, while not you know the movie isn't like a very locked down like you don't understand everything that happened by the end of the movie which obviously we're going to get into but it's a much more standalone thing which i think also again kind of benefits the medium yes like i think it really works that it's the entire experience you know is kind of wrapped into one start to finish um uh you know piece of art and, and it's just kind of all right there and you don't need to it just feels complete, which I just really appreciate in this medium, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. I also think that would have worked better for the book series, but oh well. Uh, I think it would make a lot of sense to talk about Alex Garland, but uh, unfortunately it has to come with a giant sort of, what would the word be? Disclaimer or, or problem, which is that I have actually interacted with very little Alex Garland stuff at all. Mm. So he's got an amazing... Um, you know, filmography, IMDb, uh, but it's all stuff I have to check out of. So 28 Days Later screenplay. Love it. Sunshine screenplay. Uh, I haven't it. seen 28 Days Later. Love Sunshine, even though I have some problems with Sunshine, but love Sunshine. Yep. Never Let Me Go, which I read the book. Um, and never saw. So the book is actually, which I'm, I'm, I should have looked this up ahead of time because the book is someone totally different, Katsuro Ishiguro. So he must have, so he just adapted that book. Yes, That's interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Dread 2012, which is amazing we haven't done by Masterpiece. the way. Masterpiece. Uh, yeah, which I'm, I'm sorry to clarify, these have all been screenplays so far. Um, a lot of good writing. And also, <laughs> it is kind of funny with Dread when you think about like the screenplay. It, I, I actually do think it's a really well written movie. Yeah, it is. It but is. it's also a very sparsely written movie. So yeah, it's it's not the same as maybe directing or or you know still a banger. But still, still incredible. Um, 
And then as Mike alluded to earlier, made his directorial debut with Ex Machina, uh, which I actually also haven't seen, Mike. What? I don't know if you know that. Oh yeah, that's the God. biggest. That's one of those ones that um, never quite made it to that uh, and had a lot of people who always respond that way. And then I'm like, damn, yeah, I should see that. Yeah, dude. Um, what the heck? Why are I you just, here? Uh, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. Also, I haven't seen. What's the other big one? District 9, which I mean, that breakout director maybe had less of a esteemed uh follow-up than alex garland but all the same yeah uh, big big modern sci-fi that i've missed it's just a problem holes in my cv don't know what to tell you no excuses um followed up with annihilation and then most recently sorry then the miniseries devs and then the most recent film is men did you see men mike i had not that's on my to watch um it it was not it was not in theaters very long, so I think it's. It wasn't in theaters very long. Uh, the preview didn't do a lot for me. Looks a lot more just traditional horror for him. I don't believe it has any sci-fi elements. Um, yeah, I think it does. If I think, it does, it's not in the. I think premise. it's like it would. From have what to be... I understand, it's a lot closer to like um, Darren Osby's like move into um, mother in the sense that it's just more existential. Oh, okay. It's more like Fair allegorical and out there than kind of his other movies are, but. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think Alex Garland, he's he's a fascinating director. Um, I'm super interested to see what he ends up doing next, because I do think that Men was kind of like his blank check movie, and it was a, not financially successful. So I'm curious at what opportunities he's going to get. Um, sure. What I, I like about him is that, and none of this is very original, what I like about him is that he seems to constantly be trying something different thematically with each movie he makes yeah. and visually. Like he is definitely a director who is not trying to like make the same type of movie every time. Um, I think the only thing that really unifies his work is he is his existentialism. That he's a very philosophical person. He definitely is can veer into navel gazing, quite frankly. But sure. when when he does it right, I think he's he's kind of like the dark existential sci-fi what Denis Villeneuve is to like big big budget blockbuster sci-fi. Um, he is it's wildly inventive, wildly thought provoking, unbelievably good when it comes to visual storytelling and and actually more than that, making you feel something through visuals. Him and Denis yeah. have like a very strong commonality on that front. I just think he leans more into the the realm of thought. And uh, Denis is far more uh, interested in making like a more watchable movie, which is not to say that sure. Galaxy Garland movies aren't watchable. He, he Denise is more interested in like exciting you than I think Alex Garland is. He wants to make you think. And I think that's kind of, I would the... say, sorry, go on. Or, yeah. I was going to say, I, I would say spectacle. Denis, yeah, I think can make a movie with spectacle that, that on visuals alone, or, or, you know, to be a little more pretentious on experience alone can really grab you. Um, I think, you know, certainly this movie and, and the movies that Garland has written, again, I would have too much experience with the other directorial movies. But, you know, certainly the movies he's written in this movie, I think while they can be like very, very strong experiences that grab you, it's not spectacle, right? No, it, it's no. it's more like tickling your brain or maybe grabbing your brain. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. But it is funny that you connected to Denis because I, that was in my head the whole time I was thinking about this movie and thinking about doing the podcast. Um, because Partially because, you know, we're in sort of a, you, you might say almost like a golden age of 
uh, sci-fi to a yeah. certain degree, a, yeah. a new golden age. We're having some incredible work of, I think what's cool is you were having some incredible work of people who take sci-fi extremely seriously, but who are also incredible filmmakers. Um, obviously, Denis Villeneuve is probably at the top of that list, if only from popularity. Uh, I was even going to suggest that like, we could maybe even look at Alex Garland as being sort of at the place in his career that Denis was somewhere after, I don't know, maybe Sicario somewhere yeah. where, where like, you know, he's known, he's got a reputation, um, but I don't think he's getting, he needs to have like a, a breakout, you know, he is, needs to have his, go ahead. Sorry, that's just, but that's also the difference between them as directors. And it's why I don't know where he's going to go is that Denis sure. never took a swing like this before he had something that was a huge blockbuster hit, right? Garland, Are you, the, the moment you don't he, think Arrival is kind of a kind of a swing. No, it is, but it still is. It still is successful, and it's it's trying to be successful. It's trying to be accessible. Sure. It's trying to be yes, okay, widely totally appealed. Yeah, the fact that Garland got money and the first thing he made was Men is like <laughs> it's just one of those things. You're like, I just don't think he's interested in like doing the Christopher Nolan thing, right? Of like, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm going to get paychecks. I'm going to do a Marvel or a DC movie. I'm going to get a claim. And then I'm going to make the movies I want to make. I'm going to make Inception. I'm going to make, um, you know, uh, the one that we interstellar. I'm going to make these like stranger movies and kind of go from there. I I'm super interested if Garland wants to play that game at all. He does not strike me yeah. so far as someone who's interested in that. He's almost like the venomously opposed to it. So yeah, he he's a fascinating director. That's all really I have to say, but no, totally agree. It would be interesting if he ends up becoming one of those directors who basically makes like will end up having to make like, you know, more, you know, this one's just for the studio movies. Yeah. In order to sustain his career. But then those movies become the ones that people actually like the most. There's been a few of those directors over time. Uh, always kind of cracks me up, but we'll see. It'll be interesting. I'm, I'm certainly interested in his career, even though, again, I've only seen one of his movies. So. I should yeah. be more interested. I'll watch X Machina. I'll get there. You should. It's um, great. Okay, I think at that note, we can actually just go ahead and get started with some of the categories we have here. Uh, if this is the first time listening, we basically divide our discussion of the movie into four different sections. We're going to start by talking about why this movie works, move on to maybe what holds it back. We'll have some stray thoughts, and then later on, we'll have a little bit of a dialogue diving into some of the themes of the movie a little bit deeper. Uh, but why does this movie work, Mike? I think there's a lot of things that we could talk about here. The first thing that always kind of shows up to me or that, that I always kind of think about thinking back on the movie, uh, truthfully, is the last like 20 minutes. Yeah. But if we want to put it into maybe more broad terms, I would say the the kind of like tone of the movie. Yes. Um. Which is, you know, you've already used the word existential a couple times talking about Alex Garland. I think it's, I think that's one of those things where there's a very nice compliment of movie author to book author, because the one thing the movie or the book also shares that it's a very sort of, you know, obviously it's very psychological, but it's bringing up a lot of these kinds of questions about the, the nature of reality and all of these kind of existential just things that sort of tickle your, your, your curiosity of like, wait, how exactly is this happening? What exactly is happening? There's a very sort of 
overarching dread in the book. And I think all of that translates basically perfectly into the movie that you're always in this state, even before they go into the shimmer, but obviously it gets like heightened when they go into the shimmer. Um, But there's always this sort of dread hanging over the entire movie. This sort of unknown maybe is even a better word because the movie kind of questions how much it's dreadful or even beautiful. Um, but there's just this atmosphere that that's kind of there throughout the whole movie and really becomes acute in the last 20 minutes, which is what makes that so memorable. Um, but I would say that's, that's, you know, if there's one thing I had to point to of why this is pulled off, why this adaptation works so well, uh, I, I would just say kind of that atmosphere, right, Mike? Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's absolutely true. I mean, it really is a great slow burn movie in that regard. Um, when it's right, there's very little expo- exposition. We're going to talk about that when it's not right later, I'm sure. Um, but what it what it really does is it's like you said, it's like the slow unfolding that is all taking place with like this really profound sense of mystery. And like you said, it's not a mystery of like the exciting who done it style it's a it's an it's a queasy mystery it's like you're afraid that what you're discovering is horrifying um that it's going to be absolutely nauseating that it's going to be destruction that it's i mean it's gonna be annihilation um oh geez but yeah like and, and at the same time that the mystery you're also like not sure how much of this is mysterious and how much of this is just like untrustworthy in terms of the characterizations or of reality itself that's going on and that creates this like really hard to define sense to the movie. I think what I always remember about it more than any single scene is a, is that feeling, right? Um, it's that feeling of jarring, of, of being unnerved. And I, I honestly think that's probably Alex Garland's most unique ability is his ca- capacity for making you feel unnerved through images, sounds, concepts, sequences, characters. Um, there's a great line. I actually don't love this uh i don't love this this uh film critic but adam Naiman on the ringer had this awesome line (laughs) where he says like all of garland's work he uses genre in a deceptive way meeting our expectations with worst case scenarios for instance it's not a surprise that a group of scientists exploring an uncharted environmental disaster area would encounter something weird in the woods we're primed for a close encounter with something monstrous from the moment they leave base camp What's shocking is that the thing, when it shows up, is actually shocking. And I just think that is like 110% Garland's superpower, right? It's not, it's his ability to know what we expect and to still give us something that we never could have seen coming. To still make us feel a certain way about the unease, even though the plot screams this is going to be disastrous, right? Um, Right. And I think that's really cool. I think it's amazing. Um, I have some other thoughts on the untrustworthiness of the characters, but I would love to hear your response to any of that. Well, sure. I, I was going to weigh in real quick. I totally agree with all that. I love that quote too. Uh, yeah. Also not the biggest Adam Neiman fan, so it's interesting. <laughs> um, but it's, I, I think what's just one other cool element to add to that. Well, two, I guess. The first would be, I think it's important that the characters in the movie are experiencing the same emotions as well. Yeah. That same dread, that same unsureness that same doubt that same curiosity um that same forlornness like they are having to experience that and that's obviously common in horror movies but i think with this kind of material especially it's really critical 
for for upping our engagement with the movie. Part of the 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 success of the movie is that I think you get connected, or at least I feel like I get connected to most of the characters very early on because they're expressing the same things I would express. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. They're going through the same sort of like tremendous fear and, and all of that um, at the same time as I am in the movie. And so I think that really, really sort of jumpstarts a lot of those emotions and a lot of that, our response to the movie. Um, I was also just going to say real quick on that quote, I, I guess I should have mentioned this in my history with the movie. When I saw it, I saw it actually at the FSU film um, or sorry, excuse me, the FSU theater. So it was a really good, audience it was sold out it was you know everyone was there everyone was really in tune with the movie and that atmosphere and that tension was just palpable in the room like it's just a you know we were saying earlier he doesn't make movies for like a big audience necessarily as in a wide accessible audience but i do think if you sit someone down in front of the movie and really get the you know and, and have an audience that's willing to to get invested in it 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 really works. Like it's a heavy hitting horror movie and that tension, like, uh, you know, everyone is on their edge of the seat, the entire second act of the movie, right. From yeah. the moment they go inside. Yes. Um, and I, and especially the nature of, I, I think what I'm really kind of responding to is when he says, when you see those monsters, they are truly shocking. Uh, the, the, the breath leaves the entire audience when the bear shows yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like, you know, it, that's just really good directing. This is really, really effective horror horror directing. Well, and, and he does, gosh, man, it's so interesting because he, he does that. He creates that sensation, that shock in a, in a lot of multifaceted ways. Like I'm always, I always forget when I rewatch this movie, how effective the narrative twist with uh, Natalie Portman's character, Lena is. And it's because yeah. he like his opening sequence of this movie, like, almost over the top paints her as like this idealist idealistic grieving widow. Like it's almost right. a romantic drama sequence of like folk indie music playing as she like looks at a old picture of Kane and members her love so and looks at a says no to someone trying yeah. to get her to go do yeah. something. And yeah, yeah, it's all, it's almost cliche. Yeah. It, very intentionally. And then that, that soundtrack gives way to the very upsetting. And I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but the very upsetting score of this movie as it reveals that she is completely full of shit on that regard. Yeah. That like, and not in like a, not a judgmental way, but in a way that like that relationship was deeply toxic and broken. Right. Yeah. Um, and that it just undercuts both her integrity. Like you said, like the honesty of trusting her perception of what's going on, but also just like from that moment on, you're also that shock kind of sets you up to question the entire lens of the film in a really interesting way. And that's, that's one of many. And that's before you even get to, you know, how he deploys actors. I think Oscar Isaac gives one of the creepiest performances that you can imagine in both. Great the, Oscar Isaac. Yeah. yeah. He, we'll talk about him more later, but he's great. You have these absolutely gorgeous images that you talked about already of this contrast between the beauty and the horror, the flower and the crocodiles, beauty, love, life, death, self-destruction, all these things swirled together. And, and it's all just kind of like constantly mashed with these un believable breathtaking visualizations of things that are truly otherworldly and discomforting and altogether yeah. what that does is it just creates a movie that like never lets you kind of like sink into your seat in a way that it is very hard to do 
without things like jump scares, without things like, um, like shock and awe. I mean, he does this with disquiet and that's incredibly hard to do as a filmmaker. Um, I have some, some singular images I would love to shut out, but I don't sure. know if you want to go for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Classic examples of this, the shimmer, just the visual disorientation throughout this constant twilight, the blurred edges, the way he does cinematography in this movie is deeply unnerving. Um, the image of the old team member melded into the bull and turning into a flower after he has dissected himself is truly one of the images of this movie that I will never forget. Um, Tough times, yeah, yeah, Amazing. but like, but and, and like walks that line of like kind of really beautiful, and then what you realize what you're looking at incredibly horrifying, yeah, hundred percent, and and like the question constantly of are we at impacting nature or is nature consuming us like that. Just a wonderful image for that sort of thing. Same with Josie turning into one of the trees slash cast sinking into the roots of those tree systems. And then, of course, there's the sequence with the bear that screams, human screams. All to say, like, I could talk about this forever, but when you mash it all together, what you get is just this strange conglomeration of the movie that, long story short, to repeat what you have already said, draws us into a place of feeling exactly what the characters are feeling, experiencing in some ways what the characters are experiencing, and leaving us in a place where we are torn between being uncomfortable and being thrilled by what we're experiencing. And I think that's just a feat of modern sci-fi. Totally agree. Uh, we've kind of mentioned a lot of them already. So do we want to maybe get into the performances a little bit bit more clearly? Uh, so, you know, obviously we have to start Natalie Portman as Leah, the movie, um, which at this point, just like, I don't know if there's an award for just longevity of relevant actors, right? Yeah. I, I, she just has to be at near the top of the list. Yeah. I just feel like she's been in my life just starring because you know she's in star wars she's in lay on the professional she's really young she's in black swan at some point she's always kind of it seems like every five or six years she has another movie that kind of puts her back up at the top of cultural consciousness as i say that it may have been a few years yeah. but i i think that she has this ability to well, i mean also kind she, of, she was just nominated for the academy award for jackie so Oh yeah, exactly. So she's always, she's always kind of doing, and it's funny because she's one of those actors who she, she picks diverse roles and brings a lot of interesting things to them, but she has her own particular qualities that always kind of shine through. Yeah, Yeah. And I would say like for this movie, she has a sort of, what would the word be? Aloofness. Maybe she has a sort of unapproachableness that I think really works for this character. Like yes. this sense of I'm a little bit distant. I'm a little bit disengaged from the physical things happening around me. And she sort of brings, I don't know. It's like, a, it's a very unique quality that not a lot, that not that many actors necessarily do and not that many movies necessarily call for, but it, it just works so well for this movie. And it's so, um, as much as it can, I think it helps us get to what we were talking about where the book character, you get to know much more intimately in terms of all of that internal weirdness. Yeah. Obviously, the the movie character, we don't do that in the same way, but you still get a lot of that energy, for lack of a better word, from, from the character. 
which I think is, is partially the writing, obviously, and directing, but I just think she does that in such an amazing way. I can't think of many other act- actors who would be able to do that. No, I think I think she's the low-key MVP of this movie. Um, I think it's a... I mean, I, not to... I, I could just repeat everything you said, so I'll try not to do that. But it, it's it's probably the most effective casting choice that he's had in his career. Uh, she carries, she carries such a sense of like being in control. And this movie is about that being stripped from the human condition. Right. And the self-destruction that comes with it. And to not have to explain that that's like what she's about because she just radiates control is brilliant. I mean, like you said, it, it, it takes away the need for exposition to a, to a pretty high degree. And somehow, I mean, I don't think this is, again, I don't think this is original thought. There's got to be a question about, like, is she the most underrated actress still somehow? I just feel like we just don't talk about her enough as a someone who could do a role like this. Like, I forget she can do a role like this. And she does it with ease. So, so impressed by her in this movie. That's kind of... Totally agree. Sense. In yeah. terms of the underrated actress thing, I would say that um, she almost has... She kind of reminds me a little bit of Anne Hathaway... Mm. Um, in terms of like, again, like kind of that similar thing where they, they can be at the top of the cultural conversation one year and then the next year they've kind of faded almost to the degree that I wonder if that's intentional. Yeah. Like I almost get the vibe that like they are just kind of like purposefully checking out of the entire Hollywood race, which, you know, no, that sounds great. It's probably what I would want to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it is a fair point at, at this point that it's like, she she has there is certainly an underrated element to her um a lot of other be- people bringing heat to this movie oscar isaac Woo! our boy probably he he comes up on this podcast a lot like we have to have some sort of award for him at this point or some sort of shout outs just because every time he comes on we have to spend like five minutes being oh my god oscar isaac is so great i mean to uh, be fair he is involved in our longest running bit so <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I, I actually kind of even forgot about that specific uh, connection we we have to him. But yeah, just important to us, I think. Yeah, spiritually. Spiritually important. Uh, spiritually important, Oscar Isaac. Him um, and Tyler Kerstetter. Two, most spirit, two biggest influences on the show. Has he ever been, I was going to ask, has he ever been creepier? Now I haven't no. seen Ex Machina, God, and no. I don't know if he's creepy in Ex Machina. I don't. I honestly he don't is, know his but he's roles. like he's like an Elon Musk kind of creep. He's like sure. Oh, you're like a <laughs> piece of shit kind of creep. Okay. This is like Cre- very creepy different. but recognizable. Yeah, and this, this is, is like creepy, but you creepy. don't understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually think the creepiest performance he gives in the movie is in the uh, and and arguably one of the creepiest parts of the movie is in the soldiers video yeah. that they yeah, find dude. like that look I, I really want to center on um there's a point in the in the video which i only kind of watched the second time yeah <laughs> surprised. i was like, like i thought that was one of the ones you skipped for sure but okay yeah lots of lots of scenes were skipped on the re, re on the rewatch of the movie for me great movie highly recommend um <laughs> just don't watch there's a it. there's a no, no no you don't need to there's a shot uh on the little home video thing where he has this has this expression on his face that looks between it's like a cross between terror joy yes. illumination like i don't even know exactly how to describe it 
but it is so affecting because you know, like as soon as they find the camera and are watching it, you're again, kind of what you were saying earlier, like, you know, okay, this is not good. This is This is going to be creepy. This is going to be, I, I saw Event Horizon. I know what's about to happen. I get it. But stuff like that, like those little character moments of seeing him almost looking elated for some reason as they're doing this ad hoc surgery um, is just so affecting and so chilling and such a, I don't know, such a good thing. And in the midst of all the creepiness, it is worth noting when he and Allie Portman have to just have those scenes near the beginning of like, we're a believable couple that is in love with each other. That works too. And they yeah. sell that as well. And, and like having, having both sides of that, I think is, is really critical, but yeah, he has a great job. And any, any comments on Oscar Isaac or. No, I think he just carries the, um, when, I mean, when you're inside of the, the area X, the, uh, that unknowable mystery of the place is, is obviously drenched in everything. He like drags it outside. I mean, I, you get, he basically like his performance when he first shows back up at the house makes me feel the same way as like the bear showing up in which I'm just like, right. there's just something wrong. There's just something yeah. off. Right. And, and he does that without having to say anything. He just, the way he like carries himself, I guess that's all I would say is his, his physical performance in this movie is as deeply disturbing as almost anything else anyone does. So, um, he, he has an out. amazing, he has an amazing stare straight ahead. Yes. Creep factor. Like you know? nothing behind Cause he does demise. a lot of that in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Just, just dead. eye, just dead. Thousand and, and again, this is a, at. this is a big, I, as much as I love Oscar Isaac, I also think this is a big Alex Garland shout out because he deploys him very strategically and effectively at very periodic moments throughout the film. He shows up, yeah. he's a memory, he's a ghost in the beginning, shows up deeply discomforting in terms of being hollow, and then he appears in the two video sequences that she finds pretty much every like 20 minutes after that. And I think that's very intentional. I think it's very effective until you get to the final shot. Totally agree. Uh, I, I think there's there's a few different people in the movie. I want to talk about, I guess, ma- mostly the rest of the crew that goes into the Shimmer. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee, Dr. Ventress, I think we'll have some thoughts on her later that I don't know if it's exactly her or the writing. Yeah. There's some weird things with this character in general. But if I take it for granted that, that that's kind of what Alex Garland wanted, um, then I think it's a, I mean, it's a, great performance certainly i i think actually in a weird way like the creepiest performance in the movie um because kind of the most persistently dead performance for lack of a better word you know it's the most oscar isaac brings that energy yeah yeah Yeah. and there's even like there's like fan theories that explicitly talk about how the characters all represent different like psychoses which i don't know how much of that i necessarily buy into but i think her as being just depression um does track a lot right and i think yeah. i think does sort of make sense with how the character comes across uh gina rodriguez as anya um and then amazing. just just really quickly just amazing yeah i i think incredible when she has her freak out yes uh it's oh you know what surprisingly also a scene that was very tough to rewatch. even yeah. though until the bear actually comes in nothing physically harrowing technically yeah, happens but- they're just but then it does. But then it does. <laughs> I, I mean, so it, it does. But at first, it's just kind of an interrogation. But I, remember, I remember think when like her the, face gets bitted off. That's yeah, tough gnarly. time. But like, I think the the key thing to me is like 
when she's just when she's freaking out on them and kind of going onto the paranoid rant, like you're already feeling the tension just from her performance skyrocket. Like that's yeah. actually one of the most harrowing scenes of the movie. And then I think the movie's success is that it then takes that tension and actually ratchets it up to another level once they hear that the bear is coming. Yeah. Um, and then that's when things just go. And then that's when I start start pressing that forward arrow on my yeah, you missed on my the best keyboard. Part of the movie. Did I though? Did yeah. I? Yeah. Bears that scream. Bears that Tessa scream. Thompson. Human screams. Um, just just straight up moving on. Tessa Thompson, <laughs> Josie Raddick, uh, also just great job. Like these are starting to get a little bit more minor of a part. She yeah, doesn't has, yeah, yeah. Uh, have quite as much to do, but uh, great. I think the fading into the flowers is a great little moment. Great and monologue, also, re- yeah. re- well, and that monologue really reinforces, I think, one of the most central themes of the movie, which is, is this nightmarish or is this beautiful? Yeah. And of course, it's kind of like the answer is both, I think, is the point it's of the yes. movie. Yeah. Um, but I think like she sort of really nicely encapsulates that second side of it, where her response is like, hey, no, maybe this is great. Or... I don't know if great is the word she would use, but maybe this is something that's just happening and we have to accept it and experience it. And so she get, comes, gets that across very well. And then Tova Novotny, I almost don't want to talk about because Cass is so depressing. I, I'm so depressed by Cass's character yeah, in this movie. It's gnarly. Uh, tough times. Um, but, I mean, she does a great job. Good, good on her. Uh, performances across the board are amazing, and obviously that's also the direction of the writing. But anything else you wanted to touch on with that? Nope. Great job. Great, great cast. Yeah. Great job all around. Yeah. Uh, what else do you got for why the movie works? Uh, man, just the premise. Let's just talk about the premise. Sure. Uh, I think we talk all the time about the alien being truly alien. That's a lot harder than, or it's easier said than done. But this, much like Arrival, you're just like, this thing is unknowable. This thing is unapproachable. This thing is entirely like lacking in motivation or it has very precise motivation. It's very unclear. Um, and I think that's wonderful. I think there's something very exciting about a, a sci-fi movie that is willing to lean into the unknowability of its, of its central uh, premise. And then, uh, the reveal of this movie is kind of mind boggling. Is oh. it explained enough? I don't know, but the idea of refracting <laughs> DNA is like super cool. It's just like a really cool yeah. concept, um, that they do in ways that are, are a perfect encapsulation of that beauty and horror. So, just want to shout out the premise. I don't know if that's a shout out to the movie or the book, honestly, but uh, yeah. very few movies these days feel like they're truly original in terms of what they are showing me. And this is one of them. Um, totally so agree. Shout that and, out. And, yeah, and then also on. just noting that like great, just sci-fi premise too. Like yeah. even just the idea of the shimmer, like I, I love it's, it's actually not a very big part of the movie, but I do love these sort of more procedural government side where they're just kind of calmly explaining, yeah, it's here. It's getting bigger. We can't do anything to stop it. People are going to be finding out about it pretty like the idea that they're at the edge of even being able to hide it. Yeah. You know, and yeah, like, yeah, and, like yeah. and they all have had to adopt this almost ex, you know, the, the existential dread we're talking about because they're like, it's just getting worse and nothing we do does anything. Just a great sci fi premise. Almost like the kind of thing you would think, like in Star Trek, they would find that, right? They would yeah. like, find that planet or that situation where it's like nothing that goes in comes out and it's just getting bigger. And like, what do we do? Um, just a great, yeah, I just love that. I think it's very effective. Absolutely. 
And then the only other major one I had, I mean, there's some thematic resonance related to that. Uh, we've already talked about it, so I won't spend too much on it. But I, I do very much enjoy the theme of like nature revealing the horrors inside of us. You know, it's like, hey, we're all self-destructive, but it's only when you're put in a like truly uncontrollable situation that that becomes apparent, right? Um, yeah. And there's something very interesting about that. I know we're going to talk about the theme of self-destruction later, so I won't spend too much time on it. The only other major thing I had outside of the final sequence, which I think you're just going to want to cook on, um, is the soundtrack. And we've already mentioned the score. Yeah. But this score, this movie, is bananas. I mean, it starts with that acoustic, rhythmic, like I said, almost folk guitar, and then it swerves into what is truly the most uncomfortable, discomforting, all words about not being comfortable that are ever in the English language ever, like four-note little chord that is iconic at this point. Oh my god! Uh, this thing is deployed incredible. so often, so effectively, so amazingly throughout this film, and as it shifts from beauty to menace, it makes me squirm. So, uh, music guy, talk. Well, and and the music talk does you, you did set me up nicely. Does nicely dovetail with the last like 20, 30 minutes of the movie, um, because they're so intertwined, and I think it's yeah. so it's such a key part of why the last twenty or thirty minutes works. Um, because it, it almost becomes operatic in how you're watching, you know, there's very little dialogue, some of which has already been referenced, but there's very little dialogue and it becomes this, this almost symbolist play with this like just incredible background score that for the first time in the whole movie really is just like ratcheting up to insanity in terms of, in terms yeah. of what it's doing, which is also like a, a zag. It's worth noting that I, I think, when I was first seeing the movie, I think by three quarters of the way through, I felt like I had a sense of the movie and I did not think it was going to be going in that like, yeah. you know, 2000, it's basically like it becomes 2001. Like it becomes yeah, yeah, this yeah. really heady, really visceral, really out there sci-fi sort of experience that so lifts the whole movie. Um, the score is so critical that I, I do, I guess I'm sort of getting off of it. So really quick to mention with the score, I did want to point out, uh, the music was Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow. Jeff Barrow was one of the key instrumentalists in one of my all time favorite bands, Portishead. Um, and so if you ever are kind of interested, Portishead, especially the album third, which is very underrated because most people know about like, uh, dummy and some of the earlier trip hop stuff. But one of the cool things in the band that really comes out in this movie is they are just very like sonically curious. They, they will venture between instruments and sounds and soundscapes and really utilize a wide palette. Uh, and this score brings that energy, right? Like even that little theme that you just referenced, that little four note thing is constantly evolving in how it, like it, in terms of its sonic qualities throughout the movie, uh, again, absolutely like leading up to climaxing with that last 20 minutes. Um, I don't know. You know, we said earlier, like maybe Denis is more of the spectacle side and Garland is more of the thinking side. I think the last act of the movie really actually does start getting us into that spectacle side of filmmaking just because it's so, like I said, so unexpected and so visceral yeah, and so weird and so thought provoking. Um, 
I just can't say enough about it. Like I, I, when I think about this movie, this is what I actually texted Mike earlier when we were talking about this movie uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, when I think about this movie, I think about the last, the, the lighthouse scene basically of mm-hmm. this movie. Yep. Um, and like, it's and like, there is a lot to talk about it in terms of themes and stuff. But I think one of the other things I like about it too, is it's also kind of working on a different level than that. You know, yeah. It, again, I, I think about 2001 a lot. That's like, yeah, you could put it into words kind of what it's talking about, but that almost robs it of a little bit of its power. Yeah. Where it, a lot of what it's doing is this, like, you don't, you can't exactly say what this is. It's just is sort of happening to you, and you have to sort of sit back and let it happen. Um, did kind of gush there a little bit. <laughs> Sorry about that. What do you, what, yeah. do you have anything on, on that kind of last part of the movie? Yeah, I mean, I gosh, I, I I like this movie probably. I mean, I, I don't think it's wrong to say I probably like it more than you already. But I think yeah, what I think we, it's accurate. What we both would agree on is it's definitively a film like many we've talked about on this podcast. That's probably for me a B plus, and then the last twenty minutes we have it to an A. Right? It, it, totally it truly agree. is yeah. elevated by these final twenty. Um, only thing I would add is that like, you know, we have talked a lot in this podcast about violence and the way that violence has kind of saturated all cinema through Marvel in particular, in which everything builds to people getting punched in the face, um, good and evil. And then violence sorts it out. I think it's super prescient because this is why is this 2017, 2016, uh, 2018, I believe. Yeah. 2018. Gar- Garland has a quote even back then where he said he was basically just sick of final battles as the climax of modern movies. And he yes. wanted this one to end with a dance. And I think that I is did such... not know that quote. And that's yeah. incredible. It's yeah. such a Love cool that. quote. And once you see, get that in your head and watch the sequence, you're like, yeah, this is some subversive filmmaking to like the trend of movie making in 2023 so yeah I, I don't really have anything else to say other than it's it's gorgeous it's beautiful it's stunningly visual like you said it's a huge swerve uh the mirroring the dance feel of it the entire beauty of it all is is yeah. something that you're right it's the first thing that comes to my mind outside of a bear with human screams anytime i think about yeah this i mean I mean, I just spent, I, I think I've just spent the last like five years trying to not have to think about that. So, you know, it's, 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 it's good. To, I think for the moment I saw the movie, I was like, well, we got to, we got to exercise that memory somehow. Got to go, uh, go. Yeah. I don't even know. Got to hire some therapists for that. Yeah. So yeah, this is a smaller point, but just real quick, I want to mention, um, I actually do think it's a really well paced movie too. Yeah. I think that particularly the way that information is revealed and the way, like, like you, you already referenced the sort of twist in terms of her character's devotion. And, like, it, it is truly a twist, though. Like, when it cuts to her sleeping with the um, the guy from the beginning of the movie, his name I don't remember. But when it cuts to that, and then in the dialogue of the conversation, it's revealed that that's before her husband's even gone missing, I believe, right? And, like, realizing kind of what you said, oh, there's, you know there's this whole other background of this movie. I've been viewing this entire thing through the wrong lens the whole time. Yeah. So the way that it doles out information, the way that it builds up to the shimmer, the way that it builds up to the lighthouse, the way that the lighthouse caps everything off. Um, it's just a really nicely laid out movie and it's not a short movie, but it's easy to watch. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to look up the running time real quick. 
115 minutes, so it's not too long, actually. It's a pretty well-paced movie, or it's a pretty nicely length movie. Um, but, you know, we, we're always referencing pace and length, so I just want to shout out, this really gets in, does its work, gets out, and you're invested the entire time. There's no filler, right? Yeah. Amen. Uh, anything else, Mike, on why this movie works? Uh, bear screams. Uh, oh, oh, okay. oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Annihilation! <laughs> okay, so on that note, let's talk about. I got a little echo in my headphones from that. You, you've I definitely, our, our definitely setup. went to the red on my little mouth. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> clipping all over the place. Um, let's talk about what maybe holds this movie back. Uh, it's I don't have too much. Why don't you go first? Actually, uh, mine are both pretty pretty straightforward. Um, I think this film, considering how complex this plot is and universe is, I want to state again that I think largely it does a very good job of not getting into exposition black holes. However, when it mm. does, it is sloppy AF. We in particular the crap out of this stuff. Yeah. In particular, the very blunt explanation of DNA refracting plus the sequence where one character explains everyone's terminal illness is just sloppy. It's just like not good writing. <laughs> um, and it and it's funny because for the most part, like I said, the film's been very subtle. It's been very sly. It's been relying on visual storytelling more than telling you things. And there's just something about Garland where there are just these moments where you can tell he, he just can't help himself. He has yeah. to tell you what the thing is about in the most explicit He's way possible. And it's so annoying. <laughs> So well, again, a... you, you, you kind of said this, but I think part of what makes it most annoying is that most of the movie is incredible at show. Don't tell. Yeah. So then when it does become like, oh, I'm just going to tell you this. You're like, OK, well, <laughs> thank you. But <laughs> thanks. I was, I thanks, was, bro. Yeah. yeah. I was really enjoying it when it was when you were just kind of creeping me out. That was way better. Um, yeah, that's totally fair. Do you have anything else? Mine is. <laughs> Mine's oh. mine's controversial. Yeah, I got one other cheap one, which is that you yeah, can tell yeah. you can tell that Garland is not remotely interested in action sequences because like yes, like the Gator fight sequence is so poor. Like it's not poorly shot; it's uninterestingly shot. Right? Um, I kind of gave the movie the benefit of the doubt. I think the first time that it's yeah. like that was meant to be part of the creepy atmosphere. That's shot. It's very like weirdly stilted. Yeah. Um. I think the real answer is what you said. And the second time I, I took that away, even like the first time, like it's a, it's a very harrowing scene, but even the first time when the bear comes or the hog or something, the thing that kidnaps Tol Tolva when the, the end of Tolva. Yeah. Um, even when that are cast, the character's name is cast. Even that scene, you're a little bit like, it's just a little bit not creative. It's just kind of yeah. all sort of happens. And very it's a way that like, Yeah. It's just sort of, yeah, I guess there's no other way to say it. It just sort of happens. And you're like, oh, oh, oh okay. That, cool. I I don't know. I thought that would have been maybe a little bit more interesting. Um, So I have a hot take on, okay. on what maybe holds this movie back. Why this movie doesn't work for me. I kind of think the movie is a little bit too horrific. I don't think that's, huh. here's the thing. So the book, I would not classify as, her, like, I think the book has very, like, sort of for lack of a better word creepy moments books obviously can't be horrific in the same way in general um but i feel like the movie really ends up 
I don't know. I, I, I think you can make an argument that the movie tries to slot itself into modern horror kind of landscape where I don't necessarily think that's the best place for it to slot into. I think there's a universe where the movie leans more into creepiness over abject horror, basically just tones down. Cause if you really think about it, it's like literally two scenes, I would say where yeah, it just like dials it up to 11, the bear. The, and then I would say the soldiers, uh, oh, cutting the, the, the soldiers yeah, video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cutting the guy open, um, arguably the other bear scene, but I think that one's actually, you don't, nothing yeah. really happens and it's kind of over quick. So I think like, basically what I'm trying to say is like, when I saw the movie this time, and obviously I haven't made, I haven't hide the fact that like, I just didn't like watching a lot of those scenes. Now I'm not a horror fan. So I accept that it's just like, yeah, I'm just sort of saying, I wish it wasn't this kind of movie. I wish it was more the sci-fi, which obviously I like more than the horror. But I guess I'm also sort of making the argument that I, I don't know if it, I don't think those are the most successful parts of the movie. I don't know if they even add that much to the movie in terms of themes. And in the, if I'm at my most cynical, and I, I, this is a really hard thing to actually, I don't know, this is a tough argument to make, but if I'm at my most cynical, I would even point out that I think this movie is an easier sell from an A24 perspective, from a indie movie perspective, as a horror movie than it is as a just sci-fi movie, like strictly by the book, the just sort of creepy sci-fi, I think doesn't sell as well as like horror, which is the kind of movie that was, you know, very much like A24's thing, especially at this moment. Now the movie wasn't that successful, which sort of, sort of like cuts across that particular criticism, but I don't know. I guess I'm just saying I don't think it needed to be part of the movie in the way that it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think I think I disagree with you pretty strongly on the bear one. Sure. Um, if only because there's a level of next level danger that it takes the Area X to in a way um, of just like there is a sorry. I'm trying to think about this. I think that scene works very well in contrast to the tree scene to her Tessa becoming trees. Right. Sure. In which it, yeah. it is very much a very intentional, peaceful versus horrifying violence contrast. I think it's actually effective. You can resist this or you can accept it. Yeah. And and what happens when you resist it is bad. It's real bad. Yeah. I think I think there's a very compelling argument, not just for the visual being unnecessary, but also for, like you said, the betterment of the story about the, the video of the, the stomach. I don't think that's necessary sure. at all. I completely agree with you. I actually think there's something super compelling about not seeing Oscar Isaac's face again until you get the camera of him killing himself. And that's the yes. first video you find of him. And I actually think that's just better storytelling. You can find the guy who's been cut open, dissected and merged with a pool and not know how he got that way. Right. And I do think sure. that is just a gross out visual that I'm kind of with you. I'm just like, I just didn't see that. I don't need to see snake intestines. It doesn't really, I guess the only thing it does is it makes them reflect on what's going on inside of themselves. Right. Sure. Um, rather gets, than just it, the it, environment. It introduces the body horror to them, to the characters as well. Yeah. We're already there. It's like, hey, yeah. what, what you see is happening to the alligators happening inside of you also. Right. I guess that's yeah. the only plot device moving forward. But I'm, I'm generally with you on that specific scene. I don't think it's necessary. Um, sure. And so even the bear much. thing, like, like I, I get it, too. And I one of my favorite lines that I quoted um, or that I wrote down the quote is when uh, when she's being interviewed 
um, in one of the flash kind of forwards by, by the guy at, at the Southern Reach. And he asks her, uh, it was nightmarish. And she says, not always. Sometimes it was beautiful, right? And I think yeah. that's like a, a really key theme of the movie. And in that sense, I could I could kind of get behind those elements of the movie that it's like we have to induce nightmarishness in addition to inducing beauty. I guess to me, like there's, I guess I'm also feeling a certain exhaustion at the connection of horror and indie and exciting indie filmmaking at this moment as yeah. someone who doesn't like that. I guess it's sort of like in, in the same way that a lot of like, you, you feel know, left out mainstream movies, man, fans could be feeling the exhaustion of the superheroes over the last yeah, 15 yeah. years. Right. Or multiverse I'm sort of getting, yeah. And in the, in the sort of indie like genre fiction world, I think I'm feeling the same sense and there's a lot of movies that are incredible movies that have to have those elements to them. And I guess I'm just pointing out that like, even by the novel standards, I just don't think this movie has to have those elements. Yeah. I don't fair. think they're critical to it. Um, I, I accept though, that the bear is probably more important. Um, and the, the dissection is just ick factor. And yeah. it's like, what are we doing? Well, and I think um, there's, there's gotta be a part of it too, which is just that like of all the visuals of the movie, the bear has stuck with me now for, you know, six years. That's a fair point. And I think yeah, that's, yeah. that's just one of those things that maybe I'm bumping up against it. Cause I'm just like, well, dang, it's like the part of the movie I think about as much, if not the outside of the lighthouse, the most, right. Well, it's, um, it's, it's not unfair to point out you are a horror fan where I am not. So I think, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that, that response makes a lot of sense. So it's not even really a criticism, but no, if you ask fair. me, there's an argument that, that you can make that that kind of does hold it back or does yeah. sort of color the movie in a way where it wouldn't otherwise be necessary. Um, and I, but that's I all fair. To be clear, I, and I'm trying to, to meet you halfway, I actually think there's a legitimate <laughs> argument with that with that stomach scene. And I guess, sure. I, again, I only push against it with the bear because I do see the the role it plays and what the film's trying to do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So. Uh, anything else on why this movie doesn't work? Do you have any thoughts on, we, we were mentioning earlier, uh, some of the dialogue in the very, in that last lighthouse. <laughs> is it, I guess the question is, is it a little bit too on the nose? It is fascinating. I, I, I kind of, I think we were off mic when this came up earlier. Um, it is fascinating that both of us, forgot that there was any dialogue in that scene yeah um, on the I rewatch don't... i was actually like genuinely really surprised when she started talking straight and then up... when i heard what she was saying i was like yeah i kind of remember why i forgot this straight up forgot <laughs> she memorable. was forgot she went into the lighthouse at all um yeah spoiler warning remember... for anyone who has not read the book hit 15 seconds ahead uh yeah in the book she dies outside of it so it's like right the whole point is yeah. natalie portman's the only character that gets into it so I didn't get, I honestly, and I don't get what's going on with her eyes. I don't get any of it. I I generally think that does hold it back, just her involvement in the final scene. But whatever. It's not a huge deal. It's just kind of almost jumping the shark in terms yeah. of like, I think like the, the way that the character uh, expositions and the things that she says and the way that she says them, it's like, it, it you could imagine chuckling at that. Yeah. Um, and what, honestly, and, if there wasn't the soundtrack happening, I, I probably would have. But would, And I think it, it goes right into what I've already stated, so I won't repeat it too much. But Garland just can't seem to help himself, right? He he yeah. just like has to have a scene where someone explains to you why the movie's called Annihilation. And you're like, thank you. 
Appreciate that. <laughs> cool. Appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Why this movie doesn't work? Obviously, uh, it's mostly a really successful movie. Love it. One of my one of my favorite sci-fi movies the last the last twenty years. So huge fan. Well, let's get into uh, some stray thoughts that we have about this movie. Uh, so kind of just Mike and I have each written down a few different ideas. We'll just kind of trade back and forth. Um, did you notice slash is it part of the story intentionally that Kane, Oscar Isaac, has a disappearing accent? Do you have any thoughts no. on that? Already notice on that. So the first, I didn't notice at all the first time because I think the first time you watch the movie, you're being grabbed the whole time. The second time, I started paying attention and I was like, I cannot decide if this is real or not. But when you watch it next time, listen out for oh, that. Good it feels yeah. like the character sometimes has an accent, like a vaguely southern accent, and sometimes absolutely doesn't. Now, what I was going to ask you is if that could possibly be part of the characterization because obviously there's a big question mark as to whether or not Kane is Kane or huh. whether or not he is, you know, been replaced with someone else. And, I, and what I didn't do is the due diligence on like, I'm, maybe I could have gone in and figured out like, Oh, when he does have the accent, it's when it's like this version of the character when he doesn't, it's like this version. So maybe that even adds up, but I guess I was just curious if you had any thoughts on it, but, uh, but yeah, seems like he has a disappearing accent. Hard to, yeah. hard to tell. Oscar Isaac, bad actor? Question mark. Yeah, just yeah. Asking questions. Overrated. <laughs> Overrated. His beard game has been distracting all of us. Okay. He was better in X Men Apocalypse. Anyway, um, <laughs> Oof, tough. Never saw that one actually. <laughs> yeah, let's just get this out of the way. Where's Hang? Lewin Davis before or after he spends time in Area X? There now, it is. my working assumption there it of is. this is that he is Lewin Davis in this movie. I want to make sure I'm clear on that. Okay. I didn't expect that direction, but keep keep talking. I'm, I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to yeah. see where you go. Yeah, so his you know his folk music career doesn't really go the way he plans. He has, you know, makes a couple dozen women have abortions. Uh, he decides to get into the military, you know, straighten his life out, and then he, sure. you know, marries Dolly Portman and turns into a mutant demon alien thing. And comes Meets up. her in the military, yeah, and does, does this whole thing, and then... Uh, dies and so the real question by an alien mutant the real question is is the alien virus person who's going to spread area x throughout all of humanity better or worse than lewin davis when we see him in inside lewin davis that's the real question i mean i think that one's pretty you know we 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 get cute with this a lot but we we can be honest with this one yeah when you see her talking to the alien at the end that alien seems so innocent Got chemistry so nice. too. Yeah, they have chemistry. He seems kind of scared. He's like, I don't know of who I am. You know, that's someone you can talk to. That's vulnerable. You can vulnerable. That's someone you can get to know. I just think it's no contest. The aliens is a better hang, obviously. And you know what? Lewin Davis would never be selfless enough to merge with you chemically and refract no. all your DNA. So let's just be well, real. Yeah. We're just I, we're just being honest here. We're not we're not we're not doing the cute thing. We're not you know embellishing this. We're just saying how it is. Obviously, Llewellyn Davis is a worse hang. Yeah. And here, here here's another layer to it. What if the virus is broken humanity exemplified in Llewellyn Davis? He's infecting us with his bullshit. Yeah, I I I, I think that's what Alex Garland intended. I'm kind of coming around to Tessa's take on this. Like maybe maybe it's not so bad. I don't know. Maybe it's. Maybe it's this actually thing. maybe this virus is is 
kind of going to do quite a lot for us. I don't know. Wa- watched Inside Lewin Davis, and I was like, hell yeah, bring on the apocalypse. Anyway, let's do it. I, I'm glad we got this. Tyler, sorry, as always. You Shout know what? Out the al- to Tyler. Aliens don't play baseball. Amen and amen. Yeah. Amen. Uh, man, powerful stuff we got to there. I'm, I'm happy with that. Solved it. Uh, in an interview, the visual effects supervisor of the movie said that they gave the horrific mutated bear creature a name. Oh. Uh, yeah. So inspired by the movie Paddington, which of course is named <laughs> after Paddington Station in London, which is a very elegant, very Victorian kind of beautiful station. They named the, the bear Homerton, which is a ext- apparently an extremely rough subway station in East London. Uh, so now I think we just have to officially all think of the bear as Homerton, which I, I think honestly makes the bear scenes much easier to watch knowing that he has a cute little name. So uh, just great stuff you find when you're researching these movies. Sometimes. So uh, shout out to my friend, Al, who is obsessed with Paddington and always threatens to make me watch it in our movie book club. Big shout out. Um, we have a running gag in our other, my other friend group that Paddington is, a, I think he's a demon. And that he is truly uh, debased, and he is the worst creature so, in all of well, humanity. Well, Mike, I'm gonna I'm gonna preempt you real quick and just get this question out on the table. Better hang Homerton or Paddington? Oh my I god, mean, like, Homerton. we just have to ask. Let me let's be real. Okay, Homerton's honest. Face He's bear. open. He you it's you true. get you you see him and you you get what he is. Paddington yeah. puts on a little smile, puts on his little hat. Meanwhile, he's eating your children when you're not looking. Period. Yeah. End of stories. Thing is also a Paddington. Homerton screams with a human voice, and that's tough. Yeah. But Paddington talks and has thoughts, and that's scarier. I'm just gonna that say is it. scarier. I, Amen. I'm more freaked out if I meet that bear in the street. So, you know what? Uh, Homerton's not gonna try to have a conversation with me. He's gonna be yeah. an animal, and Paddington's gonna try to talk to me about his feelings, and I don't want that. So easy uh you know what's funny is i feel like i would like the paddington movie but i have the same reaction as you i'm just like no i don't want to watch that yeah don't just, even try I, me I don't know he's always threatening yeah, yeah. with it and i'm like i will make you watch the most debased horror movie you've ever heard of how dare you how dare you actually uh, so, we've, already, we've already done that by the way <laughs> confirmed we're never doing paddington on this uh on the show paddington sucks yeah what if out. what out. if homerton is that they the military sent paddington into area x as one of the first teams and that's what there you now. go and that's what he became i mean i i don't see the flaw i don't see the flaw in the logic uh we, uh, well, we I did say I, I i did say earlier that this movie is about how when you engage nature it reveals what was already inside of you so right anyway so you know just asking questions uh what do you got mike uh, it is so weird to me that this movie and book is set in a place that's 30 minutes away from my house and that I've hacked that. Yeah. Hike. I have hiked that regularly. <laughs> like, so oh, I was, man. Creepy. Yeah, it's actually really kind of a cool thing because, you know, frankly, Tallahassee, Florida and that kind of panhandle, not necessarily that like well known, I think. Um, certainly not the most newsworthy parts of Florida. Uh, and it's actually is a really beautiful kind of area. And it's kind of cool. Yeah. Just that's such a critical part of the book and the movie. Uh, so yeah, totally agree. And um, crawling yeah. with mutant shark alligators. Little known fact. Obviously. Well, I mean, that's just, I mean, for us, uh, this isn't one of my straight thoughts. So I'm going to sneak it into to your thing real quick. Fun fact. After moving out of Florida, 
everyone not in Florida is like really terrified of alligators and are really like bemused by the fact that the Floridians in the room are always like, I don't know. They're just not a big deal. You just kind of ignore them. Yeah. They're slow. Like I don't get it. Yeah. People are weird about it. But they're, but like, it's like, I've gotten this question multiple times since moving out of Florida where people are like, like very seriously will be like, what do you do about the alligators? And you're just like, I don't know, dude. You just kind of ignore them. And they're like, what do you mean they're dinosaurs <laughs> that are just roaming around? And you're like, yeah, it's fine. It's no big deal. I mean, to um, be fair, if I didn't live here and I watched this movie, I'd be like, is this just Florida? Is this alien life? Yeah. Or is that like, is that the mystery that this shit just exists in Florida? I don't know. So I and it's like, fair. nah, it's more boring than that. What would uh, you have done if in the lighthouse, Ron DeSantis jumped out? <laughs> <laughs> The true horror. Wearing the more with Mickey Mouse ears, not wearing them, like actually having grown Mickey Mouse ears. Having grown Mickey Mouse ears. I mean, that's the refraction that we really need. That's, that's, the, that's, movie. The, that's the Maybe movie. we just need to bring the country together by refracting the, our, all our DNA into each other. I'm I think for that's it. the real. I'm for that's it. the lesson of the movie. Let's get together, John. I've lost track. Is it you or me now? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's I'm you. just going to go. Um,. Oscar Isaac filmed this movie semi-concurrently with Star Wars Episode Hate the Last Jedi. Same. same he movie. had he had the same trailer, and he would sometimes shoot scenes for both movies on the same day. Sure. Uh, which is just just an incredible thing. We're both in on that one, right? Yeah. Me more than you, I think. Maybe. No, I'm super right. into it. You were super into it, but. You never even saw the last one. That's what no, it was. I refuse to do that. Uh, you can't make me do which, that. Which, <laughs> I mean, what, well, I wouldn't try. Truly, like, absolutely no exaggeration whatsoever. Truly the worst uh, movie I've ever seen in the theater. Not any exaggeration. It was. What, it what was, if like, the Emperor's awful. scream cried out of the bear's mouth across the galaxy? What if, John? <laughs> I mean, what if the bear. I mean, He's this back. is not what you're asking, but if the bear made an appearance in Star Wars 9, I think dramatically improves the movie. Yeah, that's He just kills everyone on screen. Yeah, great times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, here's a good one, John. Which unnerving mutation would make you say nope the hardest if you were on the team? I, I mean, like, it, it, it's. I feel like we're just a one, one note uh, song now, but like the the bear face in the or the human face in the bear is 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 pretty pretty tough yeah, yeah, i don't know right. if that's exactly what you're asking but like yeah, it works that out. is the thing yeah that is the physical change moment that that i i am most signed on becoming a plant person seems chill af i would love to become a like that seems great good times like i don't know if i want to do that but like if that's a, if that's if it's that or the bear like yeah sure no worries <laughs> two, two options in area x <laughs> Yeah, that that's all that's all good. I can definitely do that. Um but yeah, bear's pretty tough. I, I think bear is just kind of the answer. I guess I guess I, I should also say you know what's funny about the soldier though that with like the, the stomach thing is he kind of seems like not that concerned. No, so he's, like I'm I mean, gonna he's, <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of upset he's getting cut open, I think, but yeah, but like you know, that in terms of finding the thing moving inside of him, he doesn't seem yeah. to have too much of an issue. So like, you know, could be worse. I'm going to say bear final answer. What about you? Uh, I, I think I'm most horrified at the idea of losing my eyes and having to wander around going annihilation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, besides when you just do that, like all your free time. Yeah. Anyway, for me, it wasn't for Tuesday. 
Uh, Mike, uh, just a general question, you know, which of the crew's reactions most typifies your own, do you think? Oh, yeah. Uh, shockingly, it's the drug addicts. <laughs> it's just like, I don't trust any of you mother effers, and I hate you, and so you're all spying on me. Are you, are you implying that you would be the one to tie us all up? Yes. And give a... Give a <laughs> It give a deranged speech straight, in a survival situation. Straight up, I wouldn't even get that far. The moment Natalie Portman's like, we should go deeper to get out, I'd be like, this mother effort needs to You'd die. Like, I'm <laughs> like, out. I'm that is you so up. obviously not true. Like, she's so obviously a liar. I would just be like, hell no. <laughs> like, Tough. Uh, uh, how about you? I can see that. I I'm kind of thinking... Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Dr. Vantress Partially because you know how much I love shouting Annihilation at the top of my lungs I've already done it many times this episode Um, But mostly because I think the detachment really speaks to me Like going through the thing And just being, because do you know honestly Mike That's what Mm. New York is kind of like Yeah Uh, (laughs) You're going to see some horrifying things But the nice thing is everyone around you Is just going about your business And there's a lot of power when you realize that you can do that too that it's just like, oh, you just kind of, you just kind of don't look up and uh, you'll be fine. It's no worries. So like, I, I just really, res- I just really connect to that, you know? Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's weird and sociopathic, but I love it. Um, hey, you do what you got to do. <laughs> I'm walking here. Um, I'm walking here. This, the novel that this movie is based on was inspired by a dream that he had. Huh. John, if you had this dream... <laughs> What would your morning be like? How long would it take you to shake it off? That's the real question. Uh, well, you know, I had to give up coffee a few weeks ago because Ooh. I had a yeah no because I had a inflamed stomach lining which wasn't fun, um, and that's to say that like I'm pretty out of it in the morning these days anyways. Okay, and it's it's I just I'm always having tough times, so I kind of feel like if I had a dream like adjacent to all of this stuff. I think I would just like call out sick, you know, I, yeah. I would just be like, man, this is not my day. Someone is trying to tell me something and it's not, it's not good. What, Whatever is happening, like supernaturally, subconsciously, psychologically is just bad news. And uh, yeah, I'm just, just gonna, just gonna say no, thank you today. Just gonna sit this one out. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. That's fair. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> like that. Ten out ten. Um, shout outs when i saw this movie i already mentioned in the fsu uh film theater student theater i should say um there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where oscar isaac and natalie portman are in bed it's a beautiful intimate scene they have a lot of chemistry they're kind of playfully bantering um they get into something serious and then when they they break out of it and start playful bantering again and as that's happening, there's a moment where Oscar Isaac sort of embraces, kind of like gets on top of Natalie Portman, and we see his back very clearly in the shot. And at that moment, in our very silent theater, uh, one woman said very loudly, oh my God. <laughs> and I just want to shout her out. Just props to her, man. Amen. It's, Amen. She's trying to get, she's trying to get what she can out of this horror movie. I don't, I did not get her thoughts on the end of the movie. Would have genuinely loved to hear them. Um, 
But I just like that she was really feeling that moment. And she, yeah. and in a sense, maybe even said what we were all sort of thinking. So I was like, who, who among us her? wasn't? Who That's among us hasn't, isn't thinking that whatever Oscar Isaac's on screen. So uh, shout out to her. I, I hope she's happy wherever she is in life right now. I'm sure she is. She has to be. She has to be. No, nothing else. No other possible thing. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to read this note. Uh, yeah, things men will do instead of going to therapy lead a team into an alien mutation sphere of madness and dissect their friends add it to the list so I, I, I know the meme but I think it's pretty funny to notice that like arguably all of the characters including all the female characters yeah. also sh- should have just been in therapy for all of these issues yeah um, probably. probably healthier so, than what they did I mean I don't know yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, having said that, it is uh, tough times for toxic masculinity in this movie. Yeah, uh, clearly, yeah. it really doesn't go well. So apparently, this movie received very poor test screenings. <laughs> shocking! Um, yeah, shocking. <laughs> it ended up prompting a huge. I don't know if you know all this, Mike. It ended up prompting a huge kind of like uh, brouhaha between the studio and the uh, producers and the director. Eventually, uh, one of the producers, Scott Rudin, or I think the main producer, Scott Rudin, um, who had Final Cut privilege, sided with the director. So the movie is is what his cut wanted to be. But as part of a consequence, Paramount ended up bailing on the international rights for the movie and selling it to Netflix instead. So internationally, the movie never went to theaters. It just went straight to Netflix, uh, which Alex Garland was very disappointed in. He said he was very yeah. sad about that. So kind of sad. It is um, sad. And then also just kind of like, I think it's just interesting to think about the movie just not doing well at test audiences. Apparently very confused by the ending of the movie. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? It's funny because it actually does genuinely surprise me because I'm like, man, even if you're confused, you're not at least like, man, I don't know what happened, but that was sick. I guess most people didn't do that. I don't think that's the general state of movies in America right now, John. (laughs) Apparently not. Why did that one punch the other one? Who's the bad guy? (laughs) Aren't, Where's why Loki? isn't she fighting him? <laughs> <laughs> Tough times. Yeah, I know. Oh, Moon Knight's back. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Big Moon Knight fan from way back, Mike. Um, so, final scene. When we're in Annihilation, that whole thing. How yeah. ready were you for a xenomorph to pop out of that weird exoskeleton in the lighthouse? Be honest. Of all the things that could have happened, I think that was pretty low on the list of what. Really, I was it looked yeah. exactly like it. I don't know about you, but uh, you know, oh wait, like the xenomorph from Aliens. I didn't yeah. connect to it. I thought you were just calling that thing a xenomorph. No. So what was the question exactly? Like when she goes down into its lair and it's got all those like black like structures all over the wall, like the veins. Oh sure, yeah. Like yeah. did that not? Did you not just expect for like a xenomorph to like uncurl out of the wall? Maybe the you sergeant's know? there with a cigar and he's just like, rah, 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 and then they all die. I'm just going to say, wouldn't have not been a fan. You know, little alien. <laughs> there you go. Pro- I mean, what if this was an Aliens vs. Predators has messed this up many times. Alien, the, the Xenomorph should be able to slot into more movies. Yeah, hell more, yeah. More franchises. I think, like, I'm, I'm ready for Marvel meets Alien. I'm ready for... Uh, Sherlock Holmes meets Alien. I just think this needs to be everything. And like, you know, I, I would have been on board. I'm just going to say it. That's interesting. That's, that's all I have, by the way. We're, we're, we're ending on that note, unless you have anything else. Oh, no, oh I, wait, got, I do have I one got, more thing. 
I got one more too. Sorry, unfortunately, I do have one more. Uh, you yeah, want me to go me first? Too. Yeah, go ahead. The this was that's actually really cool. I found it in the IMDb trivia. The abandoned house they camp at within the Shimmer is architecturally identical to the suburban house Lena and Kane live in outside the Shimmer. Oh, that's so weird. Isn't that cool? Like, I, I actually cool. went back to check, and you can kind of tell that it's like, yeah, it's, it's basically like, just the same house, but with a bunch. You know, obviously everything inside's different, but yeah, with a screaming uh, bear inside. <laughs> yeah, that, they don't have the screaming same. bear, but I, I was I was talking more about furniture, but yes, the screaming bear is also different. Um, but yeah, it's kind of cool, cool little, cool little symmetry there. I'm sure yeah. it means something. I don't know. <laughs> so my last one is to analyze these. Uh, who's to say? Uh, suburban life is a parasite anyway um yeah so interesting there's two controversies with this movie one is about the casting which i I don't really want to get into but it definitely is a movie that got accused of whitewashing um interestingly it's largely because they do not tell you the race of the characters until the second book so garland garland read the first response yes i don't know how valid that is but it's also not really on my purview probably to litigate it it's just worth noting that this movie did have some whitewashing allegations especially around the main character of lena more interestingly i thought at least there was a entire conversation about whether it was inspired by some early lovecraft sci-fi and the part that i find most interesting about this though is that when Vandermeer was talking about what he was inspired by, he cited Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis. And I think that is a yeah. fascinating influence to think about when it comes to this movie, especially thematically. But I just want to shout that out. Yeah, I think I think that the I actually I had never heard that. And that's really cool because the idea I think the, the theme that already is is I'm kind of thinking about is obviously the I mean, I mean, the obvious one is like the idea of being physically forced to change uh in a way that you don't against your will right yeah Uh, and but also then the idea of like questioning something that on its face is obviously nightmarish but then like the psychological component of beginning to question of if maybe it's actually beautiful and maybe it's actually good yeah Um, exactly that's pretty cool yeah yeah I i didn't know any of that uh you big lovecraft person big lovecraft yeah no not a big fan of racism but yeah so that's that is kind of the mark against it's awkward this. it's really awkward <laughs> and like and like and like heavy like yeah. heavy on the racism yeah. he yeah. was a yeah. he was not a white type not a white. racist it was not um, good yeah he, he's he's got some issues i think he's pretty overrated but i do think a lot of the themes that he hit upon i think it's one of those classic theme things where it's like, I'm not necessarily there for the work he himself made. Yes. But if you look at the things he inspired with his, like the ideas that he was starting to dredge up, uh, it's good stuff. So I think that that's where it's, it, I'm pretty excited by it. But him himself and his writing itself, yeah, not, not, not so much. Not so much my bag. Um, cool. Anything else? For sure. Nope, that's all I got. Sounds good. We'll stick around after the break. We're going to get in some dialogue and then finish up the episode. Hang tight. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. In this part of the podcast, Mike and I like to try to dive into some of the themes of the movie a little bit deeper and kind of have a dialogue about them. Uh, for this movie, it's funny because there's a lot of obviously kind of existentialism happening. There's a lot of 
themes talking about the nature of, uh, you know, all, all the Lovecraft stuff is there, nature of aliens, of bigger things that we don't understand. But I think there's also this really interesting idea about how we sort of exist in our own lives and particularly the ways that our own behaviors have consequences on ourselves and what that says about sort of how we view ourselves and how we view, view life in general. I specifically think there's this great quote that Mike and I both kind of seized on. Um, it, it happens when Natalie Portman is talking to Dr. Ventress. She's asking her why her husband signed on to the mission and she calls it a suicide mission. She says something to the effect of he's never had suicide tendencies or seems to have wanted to do that. And it leads into this interesting thing where Dr. Ventress talks about the difference between suicide and self-destruction. And she points out in this one quote, almost none of us commit suicide, but almost all of us commit self-destruction. Mm. And I think the thing that I sort of seize upon in context of the movie is this idea of a small scale sort of self-harm as opposed to larger scale making decisions that lead it, lead to self-harm. And the fact that those things can that someone can avoid this first one while embracing the second is actually extremely common. And you see in the movie, you see the way that all of those characters in the movie are running from things, are avoiding things, are um, trying to find answers in ways that you obviously aren't going to give them answers and are obviously going to lead them into harrowing things that end up causing destruction. I think that is sort of a huge part of, kind of the move what the movie's trying to tell us about humanity to a certain degree um i don't know if that's enough to start with but i'm already kind of curious mike in terms of that quote maybe what what kind of speaks to you about that or, or where you think that maybe applies to the movie or, or you know just in general where we can go from there yeah yeah well i actually have a a garland quote on this um that was on the big picture interview with him on the big picture podcast that I think is just like really interesting where he said, always the films I work on have some obsession or another, which gets jammed into it, particularly with Annihilation. It was about self-destruction. It was about the ways in which people are self-destructive, the hidden ways and obvious ways and why it is that all of us are in some way self-destructive, even when we don't realize it. And then he goes on and he talks about basically like the idea behind this movie is that like every single person, every single one of us, has this universal kind of impulse to destroy who we are in the present in particular and how you'll have all these people, you know, from the outside seem put together. And then how, if you get close to them, inevitably they're going to have just like this complex makeup of like contradictions and fissures. And then as we were talking about this, like self annihilation kind of behavior to almost like undermine what makes them who they are in the moment. Now, that's all kind of the basis of, I think, what the film is wrestling with thematically. I think the most amazing conversation to me or the most intriguing conversation within this film is the paradox that comes with that, which is this idea that what that self-destructive like impulse within us is also what motivates us to seek out unknown things, which in turn, as we engage with them, annihilates who we used to be through experience and through new experience and basically, it's like this to be human is to basically constantly allow 
what if it gets out of sync or unhealthy or too out of control will literally destroy us in our life as we know it. But at the same time, like if we, if it doesn't get to that sense, writing that is ultimately like what keeps us from standing still and who we are in any given part of our life. Right. It is yeah. what leads us to meet new people, knowing full well that if we fall in love with a new person, we are going to change in such dramatic ways and who we are now that it's almost going to be like a death of self. It's almost going to be like a destruction of who we are, right? And I just think yeah, that's like things that make us unrecognizable. Exactly. Yeah. And that and that's the most interesting part of the movie. And you see it throughout the film. I mean, you obviously see it with Lena having to destroy her weird mirror image to escape this idea of like destroying the shadow self that's confused itself as being Lena herself. And that's the ultimate barrier to like escaping to life again. All these things like these themes are wrestling with that of like there is this like unavoidable impulse that we can either ride to become something new or it can like burn us alive, but either way it exists and it's going to propel us into unknowns in some way. And how much like the movie, like that theme does not in any way desire to call that good or bad, that impulse. It's just naming it for what it is and recognizing that in the same hand, it's sometimes a beautiful part about it being human. And in other times it's the most toxic part about being alive. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, What's also really cool in the context of the movie is like how all of what you just described goes back to that same theme that, that we've also hit upon a couple of times of like the, the dichotomy of something that's both nightmarish and beautiful yeah, and almost like that. And, and also, you know, talking about refracting, even the idea of like, it can be one thing viewed from different angles looks differently and specifically how, that merging process, which is so critical, like you said, to, to life in a way, right? That, that you, there is this, this destructiveness with self-identity associated with growth and with, with newness and, and, and discovery and all of that. And how there's almost a perspective problem that if you approach those things, or if you approach that with resistance and with aggressiveness, then that thing ends up becoming a horror, mm. horrible, right? Yeah. It ends up becoming nightmarish. It ends up becoming something that, that you know, it, I, I think that's, you know, the key. And I, I hate thinking about this, but that's why it's so effective. But when they have that conversation about the idea of if her last thought was of terror, and that's what ends up getting sort of crystallized into yeah. the new creation, right? And that's all it is, is just eternal terror, and that idea that kind of, you know, the alternative is approaching the newness of it with, with openness and vulnerability and, and being, you know, wanting to experience it. And then that you still change into something, but it's a peaceful process. Yeah. And it's, you know, maybe not any less destructive and any, any less of annihilation, but more... Um, more beautiful, I guess, as opposed to, to a nightmare, which, even though it's the same thing, it's just being viewed from a different angle. Um, which I don't know, like, I, I think does kind of speak to our own lives and our own behavior a lot because, like you said, we're always ourselves negotiating those pathways of change. And I think it is the kind of thing where it's like the attitude you're bringing to it is already predefining so much of how it's going to impact you yeah, um, and how it's going to play out. 
what I'm saying is be open and vulnerable or you will be a face trapped in a bear screaming forever. forever. So yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's, that's the fascinating. (laughs) Yes. I mean, ditto. Uh, But that's like the fascinating part of this movie. And that's where it wraps into that theme of nature is there's a part of this, (laughs) not to be like fatalistic, but there's definitely a part of this movie that's like, you're going to get consumed anyway. Like no matter what, yeah, no, hundred percent. The thing yeah. change is going to eat you alive, and it's going to change you, and it's going to kill you, and you're going to be turned into something new, whether that's a screaming bear or a crocodile with shark teeth or whatever. You're gonna change, like one way or the other, by existing in this space. And it is like you're saying: it's are you are you a willing participant in that, or are you resisting it? And and I think what's <laughs> What's also interesting about it is there's a very intense conversation in this movie about how in control of that process will ever be. And I think that relates to me deeply as like an addict who's gone through recovery of just like, we all want to think that we can like go to therapy and slowly become our best self and like work things out. But at the end of the day, like a lot of change comes from unexpected crap, just blowing our lives up. And some of it brought on by the yeah. very tendencies that need to change, but that we're going to refuse to change until we're forced to, which is always going to come about through suffering. Right. And there's something like very, I think this movie just kind of gets its finger on that pulse when it comes to like that kind of forced change that comes from like yeah. a death of self from, from pain, from being pushed into discomfort and that being like where most dramatic evolution takes place that this movie just captures in a very visceral way that I appreciate. But, uh, but man, that's it's kind of grim. It's like every time we talk yeah. about this, there's something very grim about that. <laughs> well, and it's it's even funny because you could almost phrase the thematic ideas of the movie as each character coming to grips with a profound lack of control yeah. over their own identity and their own sense of self. And seeing how obviously they respond differently. Um, but yeah, that's that just such a such a relatable thing. Uh, obviously not quite in these terms, but how that kind of just what you said, how that, that is so much in a sense, our journey as well. Right. And and our relationship with change and growth uh, in all these different ways. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we do have a final question Mike and I have each prepared for each other. Before that, we do want to let you know the next episode, we are going to be discussing Tombstone. I'll the... be your Huckleberry. Aw. I didn't uh, I didn't necessarily mean to crack up in the middle of it. Tombstone is a great movie, sort of. Uh, <laughs> but we, I, I, I do recommend you watch it. It's from 1993. Uh, directed, question mark, by George Cosmatos. Sort of by Val, by uh, uh, Kurt Russell. We'll talk about that. Um, Transcendent Val Kilmer. Uh, go watch it. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead, Mike. Final question. Whew. So this I, it's kind of a two part question because the first part I, I I think I know the answer to. But if I'm wrong, then I guess this will be a little bit more boring. First part, you've been to the St. Mark's Lighthouse, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Okay, great. So we've both been to the St. Mark's Lighthouse. I was gonna ask. Uh, are you sure you're still the same person you were when you went to it? I mean, my eyes like, how glow would we... purple. But... <laughs> oh, <that> sure. <laughs> like, how do we know? You know, like, like, did we, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just asking questions. 
Do you, how would you know if you are actually an alien that landed there, that doppelganger kind of swapped into your body and the real Mike Overstreet died there and you're now a parasite spreading across all of humanity? Thoughts? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because, um, so a lot, if people, people don't know this, the old St. Mark's Lighthouse, there's a, a, a road that goes out to it. That's, I think it's like. It's long. I don't, how long is it? It's a few miles. It, We'll say like three yeah. or four miles. Um, here's the thing about it. Everyone tells you you should ride your bike out there, which I've yeah. done. You know what else to think about it? There are no trees, and it's in Florida. So it's just like four miles of heat and alligators on all sides of you. And I'm yeah. pretty sure I never came back from that ride. So <laughs> there's some say you can still hear me screaming some like a bear just, out there. <laughs> just Some say the bicycle is still out there. The bear, good times. I yeah, uh, I've never. That's a good question. I don't know. I can't. Yeah. I actually can't answer your question because if I did, I'd out I myself as the alien that I am. So it's good to know. I mean, you already have kids, so I assume they're kind of part of the parasite. Oh, thing definitely. Too. Yeah. So uh, good times. If if anyone wants to become friends with the Overstreets, you know it's in store for you. That's John, all I'm say. you know that you and I have hung out since I did that ride, right? Well, how do I know that was me? Exactly. Yeah. See now, now we're getting to it. Now it's now, <laughs> now we're, cooking. we're cooking with cats. <laughs> Just asking questions. Um, Just asking questions. Here you go, John. This is I am so excited yeah. for this question. Uh, you're you're big on animals, right? You like animals, you like pets. Love animals. Yeah, uh, kind of yeah. more than people. I would say. Good, good, good. This will help. This will be easy for you then. Uh, which animal would be most upsetting to you if it screamed like a human being? Oh, <laughs> uh, the answer is actually easy because there's one animal that we already hear a lot and i think we only tolerate how often we have to hear it because its sounds are kind of pleasant but if birds went around <laughs> just screaming that'd be no good what if that'd it would be a problem what if it screamed annihilation the entire time annihilation <laughs> i'd be more okay with that <laughs> as opposed to just like a just like a terrified human scream i think that would be a problem if it was saying things, at least you'd be like, well, you know, at least it's telling me something. Well, at that, least I'm interested. You know, that's actually a really interesting direction to take that question in because I didn't think about it from the perspective. I, I thought of something like a sloth, you know, something like you don't expect it. Sure. But there's something that would be really true. So, like, we all know that all pets are basically only pets because of evolution has made them, like, likable looking. And right. there's just something really tragic about a universe in which dogs scream like humans. And we're just like, <laughs> we like eat them in that universe because we hate them so much. Because we just hate the South so much. Like, and like, Jesus. Every now and then, like one person, like one deaf person points out like, man, these things are so cute. And we're all like, shut up. If <laughs> you heard you it, know? it just screams. Just... Yeah. Yeah. Makes you wonder if there is a creature like that. Ferrets, well, oh, arguably, dude. because they smell so bad. And it's oh, like, no, we would all bro. have ferrets if they didn't, if they weren't awful. Let me yeah, tell you. Know. I uh, I spent some time in in Uganda for a humanitarian trip I went on, and there is a creature in Africa called the hyrax, which looks huh. like a little guinea pig with like small Aww. elephant tusk. And Aww. my dude, at night as the sun goes down, these things scream like human blood curdling screams across the valley. And it's horrifying. You'll be like getting ready for bed and then you suddenly hear, ah! <laughs> just like, what was that? 
No one else notices. They've all droned it out. They just like ignore it. But it's wild. See, I'm not even kidding. Go go online. If you're listening to this podcast, go online and Google Hyrax Scream, and you will be alarmed. Can you tell me how I spell Hyrax real quick? H Y R A X. I do believe. Hyrax. We're just gonna get a look at this guy real quick. That's adorable. I would adopt one yeah. of those things. Yep. They scream. Are you kidding me? They scream blood curdling screams all night long. I'm just not gonna listen to it scream. I'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna adopt it uh, unheard and hope this goes well. Well, cool. We've clearly made better life decisions coming out of this, Mike. Any final thoughts on annihilation? Uh, annihilation! No, that's it. Was that was the setup? I'm glad you. I'm glad you knew where I wanted you to go. Thank you, everyone, for listening uh, once again. Man, how do I end these? Thank you. Oh yeah, Here yeah. We are. It's okay, just cool. it's just the refracting of your DNA ruining your brain. Yeah, that that's what it is. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, once again, I'm Jonathan Devine, joined by Mike Overstreet. We will see you on the next episode. Take care. Help me. That was my bear noise. That was good. That, I, I knew. You know what? You didn't have to tell me. <laughs>